0: Good morning. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 19. For those of you just joining us this morning, I see a few of you out there. Uh, Just letting you know that we're in the process of walking through the book of Genesis, and that's why we are at chapter 19 this morning. Going to stick with Genesis this week and next, and then we'll break off uh, for a short little short little gap uh, for Advent and the new year, and then we'll, then we'll get back into the Genesis series. So Genesis chapter 19, I'm going to read the, uh, verses 1 through 29. Holy Scripture says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. This city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah. Sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. This is the word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that these holy words would dwell richly in our hearts, transform our minds, and make us the more earnest in our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There comes a time in the unfolding story of a city or nation that the end draws near. The whistle is blown. Game over. The judgment of God is at hand. When we were, As we've been reading through Genesis in Genesis chapter 15 uh, the Lord indicated that the Amorites had a stretch of about 400 years in order to fill up the full measure of their iniquity. And then judgment would come and they would be dispossessed from the land. Also in Genesis chapter 15, although Egypt isn't mentioned by name, they are referred to as that nation that will enslave Abraham's descendants. But after their Oppression has run its course. The Lord will bring judgment on the land of Egypt. In Genesis chapter 7, 6 and 7, the ancient world had become completely corrupt, and God put it on notice and gave them 120 years, and then the floodwaters of judgment came, and only Noah and his family was spared. There comes a time in the unfolding story of a city or nation, or world, that their time is up. Sodom's time is up as we work through Genesis chapter 19. But Genesis chapter 19 is not only about the ruin of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the other cities of the valley. It's also about the rescue of Lot, as we looked at last week and. Genesis chapter 18, when Abraham was interceding there with the Lord, we learned one of the principles of divine justice, that when the Lord brings ruin upon the ungodly, he preserves and shelters those who are righteous. And we see that here in chapter 19. So let, let's, let's, let's walk through this in a series of steps here. Uh, first of all, in verses 1 through 3, Lot shows hospitality to the Lord's messengers it's really striking because what we see here in verses one to three is that uh, Lot has the same attitude and disposition towards these two messengers that Abraham had toward the three mysterious visitors that visited him that same afternoon and of course two of the three are the same. Remember the those three mysterious visitors, the Lord and his two angels visited Abraham on the same day in the afternoon. And what does it say in chapter 18? That the beginning of chapter 18 it says that Abraham was sitting at the door of his tent and he saw these three visitors appearing in the form of men. He saw them. He 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 ran to meet them and bowed down before them and offered them hospitality that they might refresh themselves. And that is exactly what Lot does at the beginning of chapter 19. He, he, uh, he's sitting at the gate of the city. He sees these two messengers. Remember, they were part of the threesome in chapter 18. And what happened in verse 22 of chapter 18? They left and went toward Sodom. Okay, so now these two have arrived in Sodom. Lot's sitting there at the city gate. He sees them. He rises to meet them. He bows down before them, and he offers them hospitality. If you've ever wondered why the New Testament gives the assessment that Lot is a righteous man, that's what the Apostle Peter says in Second Peter chapter two. Lot is a righteous man. Well, here's one of the evidences of his righteousness, because if you If your heart is right with the Lord, then one of the things that you do is that you warmly welcome the Lord's messengers. Whether those messengers are angelic, as is the case here, or whether those messengers are men, such as the the prophets and the apostles. If you receive the Lord's messengers, it is as if you are receiving the Lord who sent them. And if if you reject the Lord's messengers, You are rejecting the Lord who sent them. Initially, uh, the the two uh, messengers uh, decline Lot's invitation, but eventually Lot prevails upon them, and they go into his house. And in the afternoon, they had ate in Abraham's presence. Chapter 18, verse 8. And now, in the evening, they are eating in Lot's house. And we come to verses Four through 11, where the Lord's messengers protect Lot from the wicked men of Sodom. There's a lot going on in verses 4 to 11, but certainly uh, what stands out is that the, these two angels who have come under Lot's roof end up protecting Lot. But here, here's how it unfolds. Uh, at that time of day when The men should be at home settling in for the night with the wife and the children. The men of Sodom, like restless wild dogs, were out on the prowl together hunting for their next victims. What we realize is that if not every man of Sodom was involved in this, certainly most were, that's the emphasis that you get both young and old, all the people to the last man or all the people from every quarter, from every end of the city, they have found out that these two people have come to visit Lot and now they are at Lot's door demanding that Lot release them so that they can molest the Lord's messengers. When it says that they want to know them. What is meant is that they want to know them in the same way that Adam knew his wife Eve, which led to the conception of Cain in Genesis chapter 4. What is envisioned here is sexual assault and gang rape. Lot was provoked by their proposal for wicked conduct, and so Lot leaves his house, shuts the door, and he makes an appeal to these men not to act so wickedly. Now, so far, so good, but then in verse 8, Lot proposes a course of action that, that it, obviously, this is his attempt to placate the mob When he says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Now, we have to say three things about Lot's proposal there. Okay, three things about Lot and his proposal. First, we need to be clear that Lot is in fact a righteous man, as I've already said from 2 Peter chapter 2. The second thing we need to be clear about is that sometimes righteous people do or think to do very wicked things. We've already seen that with Abraham and Sarah in some of the chapters that have come before chapter 19. David is obviously another example, so is the Apostle Peter. Sometimes truly righteous people who have a heart for God do very wicked things. And the third thing we have to say about verse 8 is that to sacrifice the integrity and purity and virginity and emotional stability and physical safety and possibly even the life of your daughters in order to placate an unruly mob is a absolutely despicable thing to do. Now, realize that Lot is not sitting in a classroom being asked by a professor, what would you do if you were faced with a situation like this? I mean, this is, this is, this is a really overwhelming situation where there might be 50 or 75 or 100 or more aggressive men surrounding his house who are very unruly. It's a very stressful situation. L- Lot, Lot's desire to protect the visitors who have, come, who have taken shelter under his roof, that desire is right. Obviously, Lot should do anything short of sinning, that's the key, Lot should do anything short of sinning to keep these messengers safe. But it's a good thing that these messengers were holy angels who had some powers of their own. So back to the text. Um, In in verse verse 9, the men of Sodom were not content with Lot's suggestion. And so they they, uh, basically mock or deride Lot, put him in his place. He was a sojourner who came in here maybe 15 years ago, and why, is he, why would he boss us around? And so they're, they're pressing against Lot, they're drawing near to break down the door and to get what they want. They even threaten Lot. And at that point, in, in verses 10 to 11, uh, the, the, the angels appearing as men rescued Lot, seized him, pulled him back in, shut the door, inflicted all the men of the city with blindness, and now they could not do what they wanted, but they couldn't even find the door. And so Lot is safe. Now at this point, I want to pause uh, for just a few moments because we need to understand a little bit about the wickedness of Sodom. This, verses 4 to 11, gives us great insight into the character of this city. So I want to I call your attention to seven observations about the wickedness of Sodom, which made them very deserving of the judgment of God. First, they, they grossly dishonored the Lord when the Lord sends His messengers to a place, the right response is to receive them, to respect them, to listen to them. It would have been bad enough to simply disregard and ignore the Lord's messengers, but actually desiring to molest them is over the top. It's no wonder, it's no wonder that back in chapter... Uh, 13, verse 13, that we were told, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Secondly, they dishonored Lot. The one righteous man in the city. They dishonored him. They they pressured him to be complicit in their evil conduct. They pressured him. They derided him. They threatened him. Number three, they had unruly and unnatural sexual desires. Unruly simply means without restraint, inordinate, excessive. Unnatural means contrary to God's design. God created man to be... United with a woman in holy matrimony and it is proper for a man to desire a woman in this way. It is not proper for a man to desire someone or something other than a woman, whether that is another man or an angel or a beast or some other object. Uh, we're, We're told in the letter of Jude, the New Testament letter of Jude, verse 7, that Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. And their desire is unnatural on at least two counts, on at least two levels. First of all, at the level of ultimate reality, they, they actually desired to molest angels, because that's who these men really were. They were, they were actually, the, the, the two visitors to Lot, they were actually angels. And it's interesting because, if you remember, one of the great sins that precipitated the cataclysmic global flood was rebellious angels cohabiting with human women. Now, before the localized decimation of Sodom, The men of the city have an unnatural desire for angels. That's in terms of ultimate reality. In terms of the experience of the men, they didn't know that they were angels. As far as they were concerned, they were just fellow men. And on that count also, they were pursuing unnatural desire. So they grossly dishonored the Lord, they dishonored Lot, they had unruly and unnatural sexual desires. Fourth, they were willing to implement their desires in a violent manner. When you have two consenting adults do that which is unruly and unnatural, that is a great sin. When you have someone who is willing to pursue their unruly and unnatural sexual desire in the form of sexual assault against someone, that just compounds the nature and extent of the sin. Number five, they had evidently made a mockery of marriage. I mean, think about it. You you don't you don't just you don't just wake up someday and get all the men in a place to come together and do this. This is this is a long progressive slide towards moral insanity. These 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 were not the kind of men who were seeking to be faithful to their wives. They either had rejected marriage altogether or they were actively committing adultery against their wives. Number six, they had corrupted the next generation, old and young. Instead of drawing the young into godliness, they had drawn the young into corruption. And finally, they had buy-in from virtually all the men in the city, Think about how messed up that is. I mean, it's one thing if you, have a rel- if you, if you just kind of have a few odd folks given to moral insanity. But all, all the men in the city had entered into moral insanity. I mean, who were the judges? Who were the elders? Who were the law enforcement officers? Who were the religious gurus? Who were the mental health counselors? Not that they had any back then. But they're they're all in on it. This place is exceedingly wicked. As I said last week, America is quite a bit different from Sodom in that we have many godly people in our country holding back the judgment of God. But the truth of the matter is is that America is racing towards Sodom and Sodom-like outlook. Uh, uh, w- America has rejected the Lord and the Lord's messengers and the Lord's message and the Lord's moral standards. And uh, our, our society has denigrated marriage and has, has, has pursued all kinds of sexual deviancy. America itself is on a collision course with the righteous judgment of God. So, Sodom is very deserving of the judgment that is about to come. But that brings us to the next section, verses 12 through 22. The Lord's messengers protect Lot from the Lord's judgment on this wicked city. In the previous section, they protected Lot from the wicked men. Now, they're protecting Lot from the judgment that's about to come on this wicked city. And one way or another, the Lord rescues his faithful ones before he brings judgment upon the unrighteous. In Genesis 7, he shut Noah into the ark. In Ezekiel chapter 9, he put a mark on the foreheads of those who had a heart for God. And the executioners couldn't go forth until that mark had been put on the righteous. He protects his people The the protection of Lot begins with instruction. Oftentimes, God means to protect us through the instruction that he gives to us. Okay, And he tells Lot to go get his family members or household members who might be elsewhere in the city and, and to tell them to depart from the city before destruction comes. And then in verse 13... Uh, the angels tell Lot why he should pursue this course of action because the outcry uh, of Sodom has come up before the Lord and the Lord's judgment is about to fall on this city. And then we get another indication of Lot's righteousness. The first indication was that he warmly received the Lord's messengers. Now the second indication is that he believed their message. We know that he believed their message because he obeyed them. He went and he warned his sons-in-law. This is is a remarkable thing because it's not an everyday occurrence for a city to be completely decimated. This, this This doesn't happen every day. And yet, when Lot heard this word from the Lord through the messengers that Sodom was about to be toppled, he believed it and he went and warned his sons-in-law, but unfortunately, as far as his sons-in-law were concerned, Lot had simply had too much to drink, and they didn't take his warning seriously. So the night passes, the, the nighttime passes, and Lot's sons-in-law are unpersuaded, and Lot's family members has been kept safe because the wicked men that were outside the house had been kept at bay, and now Morning dawns for the final time upon this wicked city. And the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, in verse 15, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. And then come those very sobering words, but he lingered. Now, the text doesn't tell us why Lot Lingered, but it's not difficult to imagine why Lot's heart would have been so heavy at this moment. I mean, think about it. We know from the chronology of Genesis chapters 14 to 19 that Lot had settled in Sodom at least 15 years earlier. So 15 years is a long time to put down roots and really call a place home. And now this this life that he had built, and most of the people that he had built it with, any wealth that he had accumulated, was about to be obliterated. Moreover, his sons-in-law and many other people that he knew, I'm sure, were about to be swept away in judgment. It's also possible that in in Lot's mental framework, he was also painfully aware of how spiritually uninfluential he had been. He had a wife whose heart was in Sodom. His daughter's maturity level left a lot to be desired, as we'll find out very soon. When he came to Sodom, he had an entourage of servants. We learned that in Genesis chapter 13. Apparently, they didn't join him in following the Lord. And basically, every man of the city was now against him. Lonely. Uninfluential. Perhaps he had a tinge of conviction that he never should have settled here in the first place. He lingered. And then... The rest of verse 16, one of the most beautiful verses you'll ever read. The men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand and then marked those words, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. Just as the Lord was merciful to Sarah when she denied that she had laughed when the Lord had just said that she had laughed. So now the Lord is merciful to lingering lot because the Lord shows mercy to whom He will show mercy. And if His mercy is set on a person, His mercy will prevail. We we ought to aspire to be the kind of people who go when the Lord tells us to go. But we should thank God whenever he sends his messengers to seize us and bring us out and set us down in that place where we should have gone willingly. Now, Lot is outside the city. Lot and his wife and his two daughters, they're outside the city, but they need to... Being outside the city isn't enough because the the whole valley is going down. Not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but also Adma and Zeboim, two other cities we know from Deuteronomy 29-23 and Genesis 14. They're also cities of this valley. They're, they're going to be decimated also. So Lot's out of Sodom, but he's got to a, he's get to a safe place. And so he is ordered to escape for your life in verse 17. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. But Lot, he, he, just, he, just, he just can't follow basic instructions. He's a righteous man who leaves a lot to be desired. And so after acknowledging the, the angel's great kindness in saving his life, it's kind of an understatement, that's where he ought to linger. He ought to linger in praise and thanksgiving at the mercy of God. But now he wants to negotiate the place where he's going to end up. He, he, for, lot, lot believes that escaping to the hills, it's it's undoable. He's not be able to pull it off. Does, does he think that he knows better than, than, than these messengers who are there on behalf of the Lord? And so uh, Lot says, this city, referring to what would be, be named Zoar eventually, uh, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. And my life will be saved. Who's in charge here? But again the mercy of the Lord. And the angels say, I grant you this kindness. It's interesting, Zoar was one of the five cities of the valley. Perhaps the Lord never intended to destroy it. It's also possible that he did intend to destroy it, but didn't in order to accommodate Lot, because that's where Lot wanted to go. And so the promise comes I will not overthrow the city of what you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Isn't that remarkable? This city cannot be destroyed by the judgment of God until you, Lot, are safe and sound. The Lord will not release the judgment until the righteous. Let's go to verses 23 to 26. The Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. By now the sun had risen upon the earth. Lot was in Zoar now. And then the climactic moment of judgment came. Verse 24, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of those cities, and what grew on the ground. All of these cities, all of their culture, all of their buildings, all of their dreams, all of their farming projects, All of their vegetation, and most pointedly, all of their people were obliterated in a single dramatic act of judgment from the Lord. It's a very powerful testimony to the fact that the Lord is holy and righteous and just. And though his forbearance is great, his forbearance and patience are not infinite. And the time comes when he blows the whistle and says, game over, and judges the ungodly. By the way, it's not enough to get physically out of Sodom if, spiritually, you're still in Sodom. And thus, Lot's wife stands as a warning. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back in direct disobedience to the command given to Lot several verses earlier. Don't look back. She looked back. As we look with our eyes because of what is in our heart. What was in her heart? Disobedience. What was in her heart? Some kind of holding on to Sodom. And so, she too was obliterated. Finally, we come to verses 27 to 29, where we are told that the Lord remembered Abraham. Now, this is not a this is not like a sequential thing, like the next thing that happened is that the Lord remembered Abraham. No, this is actually, verses 27 to 29 is actually a summary of the entire chapter and, uh, to this point. And what, what, what the idea is, is that when the Lord was carrying out his judgment upon Sodom, he was remembering Abraham all along, okay? Uh, but before we get to verse 29, just just think about this scene where Abraham had spoken with the Lord face to face less than 24 hours ago in the second half of chapter 18, which we looked at last week, and Abraham returned to that place where he had stood before the Lord, and from that place, he he looked east to the Jordan Valley and to the cities of the plain several years earlier. Lot had looked out from Canaan. He had looked east. He had looked toward the Jordan Valley, and he saw a beautiful, well-watered garden, a promising land, and there he went. Now Abraham looked out upon the same spot, and what did he see but smoking ruins? And in that moment, Abraham knew that the Lord did not find ten righteous people in Sodom. Because the Lord had promised him, if I find ten righteous people in Sodom, I won't destroy the city. But the city is up in smoke. And verse 29 tells us that, so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. God remembered not only his promise to spare the city if he found ten righteous there. God remembered Abraham's appeal that the righteous not be put to death with the wicked, that the righteous not be swept away with the wicked, that the righteous not be treated with the wicked. God remembered that. And he preserved righteous Lot and sent him out and got him to safety before the judgment fell upon these cities. There's a a powerful lesson here for all of us and for the world in which we live. Because the apostle Peter teaches us that the Lord's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah is meant to be a preview of the Lord's final judgment that he will eventually bring upon the whole world. It says in Second Peter chapter 2 verse 6, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. What is going to happen to the ungodly? They are going to face everlasting fire from the judgment of the Lord. And so the Lord's Lord's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah is an urgent message to every sinner, Every sinful city, every sinful nation on the face of the earth. Flee the judgment to come. Flee the city of destruction. Flee the way of the world. And how do you flee the way of the world? By fleeing from your sin and entrusting yourself to the Lord's mercy. Genesis chapter 19 is a clear word to a corrupt world. Stop Disregarding the Lord and the Lord's messengers and the Lord's message. Stop rebelling against the Lord's design for marriage and sexuality. Stop making demands and threats against the righteous. Stop Stop pretending that your urban projects are safe spaces. They're not. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Unless you repent, Genesis 19 declares to the world, you are all likewise going to perish in the same way that Sodom and Gomorrah perished. The good news of God's grace is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this Sodom-like world. And he was crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men all in accordance with the Father's perfect plan. On the cross, our Lord experienced the judgment of God upon humanity's sin so that any person who trusts in the Lord would be forgiven of sin and saved from the wrath to come. And so I say to any unbeliever who is listening to me right now, Flee from the coming judgment. Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere where the world might allure you to come in and check this out. Instead, escape to the hill called Calvary and take refuge under the cross, which is foolishness to the world, but it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. And if you have already fled to Jesus for refuge, then take encouragement from Genesis chapter 19 that just as the Lord preserved righteous lot, very imperfect righteous lot, so the Lord will also preserve you until the very end. And in just a moment, when we have the opportunity to sing hymn number 228, I really encourage you who belong to the Lord, if you belong to the Lord, I encourage you to sing this out as a fitting response to the message that we have just heard. The fourth verse says, rejoice in glorious hope. Our Lord, the judge, shall come and take his servants up to their eternal home. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would make our hearts appropriately heavy because a sinful world stands under the judgment of God. I also pray that You would make our hearts appropriately joyful because the Lord has come and tasted death for us, so that we might enjoy eternal life with him forever. Father, let these thoughts govern and transform the way that we live and the way that we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.